So Matthew chapter 1, if you came in late, we're going to share some scriptures together in the, the time that we have left. And before we launch into the Word, let's pray. Lord, I thank you for these moments that we share now. And I thank you, Lord, that each and every time we gather together, it is a holy moment. Because the one who is holy is in our midst. If we would just be still and know that you are God. If we would just turn our gaze heavenward. If we would just put aside the distractions and simply come to be at your feet. So I thank you that you are our Emmanuel, the promise of the God who is with us. And I ask that as we read these scriptures this morning, that you'd cause them to come alive in our hearts. May they speak your truth. May they accomplish your purpose. May they transform us more and more into your image. For to see you glorified, to know you, to love you, and to live for you each and every day of our lives is our desire. We pray these things in your wonderful name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. We're going to go and read the Christmas story. I thought there might have been a little more excitement. Should I try it again? We're going to read this morning the Christmas story. I've got about 10 of us who are excited about that now. But of course it is the lead up to Christmas. This time of year, Advent, where we celebrate the coming of Christ. We haven't had an opportunity yet. We've had a lot of other activities and things going on, as often is the case this time of year, to really focus in upon what this is all about. And I'd love for us to focus on the Christmas story from a few different perspectives. And this morning, we're going to focus on this story through Matthew's account and through the lens of Joseph. Through the lens of Joseph, the husband of Mary. Now, if, if you're like me, you might be thinking, well, is there really much to glean from Joseph? I mean, he tends to be very much the silent partner in the Christmas story. You might have this year had an opportunity to go around even our city and see nativity scenes. Has anyone done that? Is there some still up around the place? There used to be last time I went looking. I haven't seen any this year. But it's often, isn't it, when you go and certainly in years past the uh, the effort that people go to set up this wonderful nativity scene and people will come up and they'll say oh there's mary and there's the little baby jesus and there's the angels there's the wise men oh there's the animals appreciating all the signs and wonders of the nativity scene but have you ever heard someone come up and say oh there's joseph there he is standing tall and proud a picture of manliness perhaps you have i haven't because he is somewhat the man who we overlook in this story, in his role. There's no quote recorded in Scripture of anything he said. There's no great achievements necessarily mentioned. He was a simple carpenter. And yet he was the man whom God called and chose to be the stepfather, the adopted father of the King of Kings. What an honor that was. So what was it about the life of Joseph that caused him to have been 
invited into this story and how, in fact, was it that this came to be? Let's read together. And Matthew, interestingly, begins his gospel looking at the genealogy of this man called Joseph, whereas Luke takes a different turn. He details the genealogy of Mary. Matthew begins by pointing us towards Joseph and his role in this story. And I'll spare you the names. I'm sure you'll be very thankful. The genealogy will skip down to Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, remembering that in Jewish culture a betrothal was as good as a marriage, it was signed and sealed, and they had this process where although the, w- the marriage was assured, there was a period of separation. This was usually a period of some years, possibly even longer in some instances. So they are betrothed. But before they came together, she being Mary was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, verse 19, being a just man, some translations say being a righteous man. He was a God-seeking, God-fearing man. And he was, because of his beliefs, because of his character, it says he was unwilling to put her to shame. The normal process for a teenage girl who'd found to be with child out of wedlock was that they would be publicly humiliated, not only her but often the entire family, publicly shamed, made a spectacle of. But Joseph had been unwilling to participate in such a process and instead resolved to divorce her quietly. And of course the Lord is about to show up and give Joseph some guidance and direction. But I want yourself for a moment before we read on to put yourself in the shoes of Joseph. And there's many different characters to the story of Christmas. I'm sure often we've spent time reflecting upon Mary, who of course had the visitation of the angel, said, Mary, you're highly favoured, you will bring into the world the one who is the Messiah. We had the shepherds minding their own business on the hills, and all of a sudden it says, the host of heaven. What would that have sounded like? Majestic, glorious, We had these wise men following a star. All of these supernatural, wonderful signs inviting people into the promise and the plan of the eternal God. And yet, we look at Joseph. I I feel for Joseph a little bit because he didn't get an angel. Not at this point. He didn't get the host of heaven proclaiming his part in this story. He didn't even get a star to follow. What did he get? He got a big, fat problem. That's what he got. What was the Lord's grandiose invitation for Joseph into this story of Christmas? It was an enormous, life-altering, life-shaping problem. See, here he was, minding his own business, planning his direction and his life. He'd been saving for some years, looking forward to this day when he would marry his bride, probably already envisioning his children, where they'd live, what they'd do. And then all of a sudden, Mary is found to be with child. And I, for one, would love a few more details. You see, all we read here in verse 18 is it says, Mary was found to be with child. What it does seem clear is that Joseph had no idea what was going on. Did, did Mary and Joseph have a conversation? I don't know. Perhaps. Perhaps they did. 
Was she somehow hindered in her telling this account? I mean, let's be honest, there's not many teenage girls who have to go to their betrothed and say, look, I know we're due to be married, but I'm pregnant. But don't worry, I've not been with a man and my baby is from God. There's no easy way to say that, is there? There's no way to make that sound in any way normal or appealing or palatable. We don't know. I don't know how this came about. All we know is that all of a sudden it says Mary was found to be with child and Joseph was found to be in a huge dilemma, a huge problem, a problem that would shape the rest of his life. And see, I think we can take some encouragement from Joseph's predicament. You see, we can take courage because, here's the point, you can be in the midst of a problem. You can be in the midst of a crisis. You can be in the midst of no fault of your own, but a life-altering event, and still be centered in the midst and the purpose and the plan of God. In fact, so often I've found in my own journey, it's often the problems that Jesus can use to point us towards his purpose. I could give you example after example, and perhaps that's because of my personal stubbornness of the Lord. Here I am making my own plans. This is how I'm going. This is what I'm doing, God. I hope you're happy with that. I hope it's pleasing to you. And all of a sudden, you're smack bang in the middle of a huge problem. And it's in that place as we seek him that he reveals his purpose. So let's read on the story. So here's Joseph. He's in the middle of a problem. It says he's a just man and he's unwilling to put her to shame. Verse 20, but as he considered these things. See, in the one hand, we see Joseph's response. He was very clear in his mind. He said, well, I want to do this right, but there is no future for me and Mary. He'd resolved that that was it. He hadn't believed these tales of a supernatural conception, and he was looking for an out. And yet he didn't jump down that decision. See, so often earthly wisdom will tell us to go one direction. And it's only as we stop and consider and search these things out, especially in the midst of a problem, that we find and discover God's purpose. How often have we thwarted and aborted the purpose and plan of God? Being like Joseph in the midst of the problem and going, well, that's it. That's it. It's, it's done and dusted. It is buried. And yet he does something else. He's in the midst of this problem, but it says he considered. That word literally means to weigh up, to intentionally ponder, to deliberately consider. There's intention, there's purpose. We don't know how long this process took, but it's not an instantaneous decision. He is wrestling. And you see, so often we say, shouldn't the call and the purpose and plan of God be clear? Shouldn't it be crystal clear? Shouldn't it be the angel turning up and saying, this is the path ahead. Shouldn't it be the host of heaven making sure there is no shadow of doubt? There's no room, there's no margin for error. And the truth is, yes, sometimes it is. Sometimes it is. Sometimes the purpose of God is found in His supernatural leading and direction. And I've had moments like that in my life. 
But sometimes the purpose and plans of God are found in the midst of wrestling, are found in the midst of these huge problems where all of a sudden oh, I cannot see the way. I do not know what to do. I am lost. My whole life is just falling apart. And in that wrestling, that place of God, where on earth are you in the midst of this? Who thought this one up? I'm a righteous man. I've lived a godly life. What are you saying to me in the midst of this problem? And it's in the midst of the wrestling that the Lord then speaks. That's what verse 20 says. It says, as he considered, as he considered, as he wrestled, as he sought the Lord's purpose and plan in the midst of his problem, the Lord spoke. He came into his problem. He revealed his purpose and his process that would lead to his promise. So that's a lot of peace. Let's unpack that a little bit. Verse 20, But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save the people from their sins. He then points him towards a 700-year-old prophecy. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Verse 24. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded. There's no questions. There's no delay. The literal translation is, as he woke up, immediately he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. He called his name Jesus. So here we see the Christmas story through the lens of Joseph wrestling with a problem. In the midst of the problem, as he seeks, as he wrestles, as he says, Lord, what is going on here? The Lord reveals his purpose. You shall take her as your wife. And through that purpose reveals this incredible promise that in fact it is your privilege to be the adopted father the earthly father you will call his name jesus you're the only one in the history of humanity who can claim to have been the man chosen by god to hold baby jesus in your arms to gaze at the face of god in human form so I want to give us three thoughts, not only that we see in this passage here, but for us as we approach Christmas time. And I believe these are all so important, but so powerful if we will recognize what should our response be as well to this incredible story of grace, the coming of our Messiah. Number one, this was an invitation for Joseph to look up. It was an invitation to look up. Here was Joseph in the midst of a problem, in the midst of his dreams and desires being shattered, in the midst of an uncertain future. What do I do? I'll be ruined if I take this pregnant teenager to be my wife. All those plans I had are gone and out the window. The first invitation he gets is, Joseph, look up. In the midst of your problem, look up and see the incredible purpose of God. This is of me. This is the promised Savior. 
whom your people have waited for for thousands of years. And here he is, and you get to partake in this mystery. You see, Christmas for us too is an, it's an invitation for us to look up. It's an invitation to fresh perspective. How often do we get caught up in our stuff, in our problems, in our busyness, in our striving, in all that consumes our attention here? Christmas is a wonderful invitation to look up and to see His purpose in the midst of the problems. Let's look at one other scripture, just because we can. Jump with me over to Isaiah. And I want to bring something out in this incredible prophetic description the Lord gives Isaiah of the coming of the Messiah. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, it says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. Jump down to verse 6. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulders. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish an establish it and uphold it with justice, with righteousness, from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Now, I love this passage for a few reasons. Number one, the context here is important. This prophetic scripture was given not at a time of great success in the nation of Israel, not when things were going well, not when they were seeking the Lord. This prophetic scripture was given at the time of Israel's greatest wickedness. King Ahaz was on the throne. He led the people into all sorts of idolatry and immoral practices. The kingdoms had split. The people were seeking and worshipping other gods rather than the one true God. There was very few righteous left. And in that context, the Lord prophesies, and indeed there was a natural darkness upon the people of God at that time. But he says, do not give, out, do not give up hope, for in the midst of the darkness that's all around you, the light will shine. The light will shine. And as John proclaims the coming of the Messiah in his gospel, chapter 1, he says, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us dwelt among us. The light shone in the darkness, and the darkness did not, could not, couldn't even come close to overcoming it. See, this is the picture of Christmas, isn't it? It's the, it's the darkness that's around, and it's the light of the glorious grace and goodness of our Messiah, the King who does His best work in the midst of darkness. The other reason I love this passage is the last line. He looks at this people. He sees them in their wickedness. He gives them this promise. Do not lose hope because the light will come and shine in the midst of the darkness. And he concludes it with this phrase, the zeal of the Lord will do this. He doesn't say the righteousness of the people will do this. Your effort and striving will enable me to come and rescue and save my people. He says, no, you can take this to the bank because this is based upon my power and my faithfulness. 
and my desire to accomplish my plans. Not because you could ever earn it, not because you could strive for it, but because of His sovereign grace and mercy. And we see this principle as a wonderful picture in Christmas of the light shining in the midst of the darkness. I have some stories here this week I was both discouraged and encouraged. Have those weeks? About the same issue. And I was reading, as I'm sure you did, this is the brief version. You can listen to the podcast from the earlier service. I shared some stories of this horrific Syrian crisis, the civil war that's been going on for many years. The government currently, the government forces are looking at invading Aleppo. There's still some 300 plus thousand people, the population of Canberra, stuck inside this city. One World Vision representative said it is the most dire consequence that they have ever encountered in their lifetimes. These people are without water, food, any essential services. And that's on top of the years of civil war. Half of the nation that is in exodus, that is displaced. Refugees who are so desperate they're attempting to cross the Mediterranean on dinghies. They're predicting that there could be as many as 10,000 people who have drowned this year alone trying to cross. Such is the level of their desperation. Men, women, children. This horrific, horrible saga. And one thing, I don't mean to get political, maybe we'll just for a moment, just for a moment. One thing that really irks me is that somehow Western nations have made us the centre of the narrative. Isn't that the height of selfishness in the face of the greatest humanitarian disaster? There's more displaced people on our planet today than there was even in the year of World War II. Any time in history. And so you say, well, okay, there is darkness around. That's one example. And the Middle East has been enshrouded in darkness for a decade, hasn't it? There's been wars. There's been rumors of wars. There's been horrific terrorist activity doing things that should not even be mentioned in any setting, let alone performed by people who call themselves human. And you say, well, how on earth is there any light in the midst of such oppressive darkness? Well, I saw that was the discouraging part. Here's the encouraging part. I won't leave you without hope. But I read an article. This is from Joel Rosenberg, who's an an expert, is an American guy in the US, and he made this statement in an article he wrote very recently. He said, I have many reliable reports that suggest to me that there are more Muslims that have become followers of Jesus over the last decade than in Islam's entire 1,500-year history. Isn't that incredible? In the midst of the darkness, the light of the gospel is shining in places that previously would have been closed to the message of Christ. One interview in this article from someone who was called Jane, her name and particular location was kept secret living. She's living still in Syria, one of the few that are remaining. She's talking about the great desperate situation. But in the midst of that, she says, we are now experiencing this is the best spiritual time for Syria and other countries like Egypt, because as much as the suffering is great, Christianity is growing. Many, she said, thousands are encountering Jesus in dreams and visions. They come to us. They say, we don't want to follow Muhammad anymore. We don't want Islam. We want to know the real God. And we introduce them to Jesus. 
We could look at Iran. I've seen a number of reports on Iran. And Christianity is now officially the fastest growing religion in, in Iran. A nation that a decade ago had virtually no Christians now has over half a million, 500,000 people in a decade. That's a pretty good growth rate. Similar stories in Saudi Arabia, which for 100 years has had less than 0.01% people who would identify as Christian, now has over 12% of people who would identify as born-again believers. Story after story, there is an unstoppable or let me rephrase that. There is horrible darkness in the middle of the mis- Middle East, but there is an unstoppable, glorious grace of the gospel that is spreading like never before in the midst of the darkness. And you see, that's the promise of Christmas. It doesn't matter how bad the darkness is out here. It doesn't matter how, ma- how bad the problem is in your personal life. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot and will not overcome it. I thought you might be a little more excited about that, but we'll press on. Let's take it to a personal level for the person waking in the middle of the night stressed. There's not enough time, there's not enough money, wondering how to make ends meet. Who or what can save me from this situation I'm in? Let me say, the light shines in the darkness. The darkness cannot, cannot overcome it. For the person searching for meaning, what is my purpose? Why am I even here? There is a light shining in the darkness if we would just look up and see the light. For the person discouraged, broken in a heap at the bottom of all of their failures, let me encourage you, there is a light that shines in the midst of the darkness. He is a God who does his greatest work in the midst of the darkest darkness. That's what he does. He redeems, he restores, he reconciles. We've just got to look up and let him into our stuff. So that was point one, but I promise the other two will be much shorter. There is an invitation here as we read this story of Joseph, God saying, look up. But it goes on. He's not just saying, look up and enjoy the wonder and mystery of all that I'm going to do. He says, lean in. Lean in to know and discover and find the purpose of God in the midst of what I am doing. See, the the true mystery, as I look at this story of the coming of Christ, is not that he would come and save his people, as glorious as that is, but he's God. I would expect him to be doing whatever he wants to do. The true mystery is this, not that he does what he pleases, but that he invites people like Joseph, like you and I, into the story. See, if I was the eternal God, I'd say, look, Joseph, look up and just stand back and make sure you stay out of the way. Just remember, I'm the good, good father. I'm the perfect father. I, I know how to do this whole fathering thing. You just stay right out of the picture and let me do what I need to do. But he doesn't. He comes to Joseph in the midst of his problem and he reveals his purpose. Not only does he say, you are to marry Mary, but he says, Joseph, you are to call this child that is born of me, you're to call him Jesus. And you say, well, we've already heard that elsewhere. Why is he reminding him? I think we missed the significance because in Jewish culture, it was the father's responsibility on the eighth day to publicly pronounce the name of the child. Even in adoption ceremonies, the father would, at some point in time, as to 
to officially recognize the adoption, he would name his son. And so God is effectively saying to Joseph, not only are you to look up and see the wonder and mystery of this purpose and plan I'm unfolding, but he says you're to lean in, recognize that you have a part to play in this story. In the midst of the problem, there's a purpose and there's a promise. And the promise is this, you will be the adopted father of this child. Wow. You have a role to play in this incredible story. You're not the silent partner. You're not the guy that everyone avoids as they come to the nativity scene. You have an incredible role to play in this redemption story. The same is true of you and I. Christmas, I believe, is an invitation, the coming of Christ, to look up, to see his purposes, but to lean in and to recognize that we have a role to play. It's just his heart as our Father to invite us in. And it's our responsibility to lean in, to wrestle, especially if you're in the midst of a problem, to wrestle. Until in the midst of the problem, we discover his purpose. Lean in, look up, but lean in. And then there is an invitation to live out. And I love the way Matthew records this. It says, as soon as Joseph woke up from sleep. See, there was never any questions. There was never any, Lord, why did this happen to me? Do I really want this? He never asked that question. All he ever seemed to seek of the Lord was, what do I do here? And as soon as the Lord spoke, it says immediately after he woke up, he responded. Immediately. Why did God choose Joseph? I believe more than anything else because he knew that Joseph was a man who knew how to obey. I've always loved the description of Abraham in Genesis 18 where the Lord talks about Abraham and his call upon Abraham's life. And he says this, and I believe this is the reason that he called Abraham. He says, I know the kind of man that Abraham is, and if I ask him to do something, then I have confidence in him that he will do it. And I believe the same was said of Joseph. I know that Joseph is a man, and we see that here. He's a man that as soon as I tell him to do something, as soon as I turn up in the midst of his problem, reveal my purpose, I can count on him to obey. Could the same be said of us? Are we a people whom the Lord could say, I know what kind of person he is, she is, that the moment I call, they will respond. So we need to, to be a people as we prepare our hearts, as we celebrate the coming of Christ, who know what it is always to look up, never lose sight. And so often we do, if I'm honest, so often we do, we're so consumed down here, we lose sight of the glorious plan that he has, of this un unfolding light in the midst of the darkness. God, there's darkness around, but what role can we play to share the glorious grace of your gospel to point people towards jesus but then as we look up we look in we wrestle until we find in the problem the purpose of god and then the moment he speaks i pray that we're a people willing to obey whatever the cost that was my plan god i know but it's gone you've spoken and i will follow Let's pray. Do you want to come and play for me? I think Ali's.
want to pray for us as we conclude this service. And it may be that you are in a season or a circumstance of life where you know that you have been distracted, perhaps by the problem, perhaps by just the stuff of this life. And I particularly want to pray for any of us here this morning, even as we concluded worship, that this would be a moment where we can just put aside that stuff, where we can come and choose the better path, just to be at His feet, just to gaze again upon His beauty, just to receive from Him the things that we need. And my prayer is that as we as a people in this season of Advent, as we look up and behold Him afresh, that that would draw us towards leaning in to know His purpose and then to respond by living that out. So Lord, we thank You for this account by Matthew of the life of Joseph. We thank You for both the majesty of Your incredible plan of salvation, but so often as well the mystery of it. Lord, we don't always understand the things that are going on around us in the world, the things going around us even in our lives. But we can always have absolute certainty that you are at work, that we can look to you. And even in the midst of the problems, we can lean in and find your purpose that we might be a people who live in your incredible promises for us. And may the truth and the reality of that resonate in our hearts as we approach this time of celebrating your coming. I pray in Jesus' name.